You're listening to Yap, Young and Profiting Podcast, a place where you can listen, learn, and profit. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Hala Taha, and on Young and Profiting Podcast, we investigate a new topic each week and interview some of the brightest minds in the world. My goal is to turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your everyday life, no matter your age, profession, or industry. There's no fluff on this podcast, and that's on purpose. I'm here to uncover value from my guests by doing the proper research and asking the right questions. If you're new to the show, we've chatted with the likes of ex-FBI agents, real estate moguls, self-made billionaires, CEOs, and best-selling authors. Our subject matter ranges from enhancing productivity, how to gain influence, the art of entrepreneurship, and more. If you're smart and like to continually improve yourself, hit the subscribe button because you'll love it here at Young and Profiting Podcast. This week on Yap, we're chatting with Stephanie Malik, an award-winning crisis management expert and business strategist. Stephanie is also the CEO and founder of Malico and S. Malik Enterprises and the host of the Spin It podcast. Stephanie has been in the entrepreneurial game for over 25 years and has consulted for brands like Nike, United Airlines, and American Express. After spending years as a serial entrepreneur and business consultant, Stephanie pivoted into founding her own crisis management company. In today's episode, Episode, we talk about Stephanie's journey with her father's death and her emancipation from her mother at age 15 and how all of that adversity only made her stronger and her purpose more clear. We'll also get a deep dive into Stephanie's world of crisis management, what it means to help others in tricky situations, and how discovering your skill sets, being an active listener, and having confidence are some of the most important assets you can have in business. I had so much fun talking with Stephanie today, and I think you're going to love it too. Hi, Stephanie. Welcome to Young and Profiting Podcast. Thank you, Hala. Thanks for having me. These are my favorite types of interviews. I love interviewing people that I know very well because it makes for a really fun interview. I feel like I didn't have to study because I know so much about your life already, and I feel like it's going to be such a great conversation. So, Stephanie... You are an award-winning business consultant. You are a crisis management expert. You've been behind the scenes on so many different headlines that people have heard about. They just didn't know that it was you behind the scenes helping those people get out of those crises. It's it's super exciting what you do and really innovative in terms of what you've built. So I can't wait to get into all of that. But we always like to start off with childhood. We like to talk about people's journeys. And I know you had a really crazy come up story. So talk to us about a turning point in your life. And I think that's when your dad died. Talk to us about that moment and what happened after. Sure. So it's a little bit more complicated than that. So let me just take a little bit of a step back. So my mom was married to who I thought was my father. And they got a divorce when I was very young. They got a divorce when I was, you know, under two. And I had kind of my father had been married several times before. And so I had siblings. I had half siblings. And what happened was he didn't really see me after the divorce at all. And so it was really hard kind of keeping up with my siblings because I was so young and they would try and call. But then you don't really know what's going on when you're a kid. So... Fast forward, Hala, and I was in middle school. My mom showed up at middle school and said, hey, you actually have to do a blood test because your father got diagnosed with cancer. And imagine middle school. I'm like, absolutely not. I'm not. I don't even know him. I'm not doing this. No way. No shot. Long story short, I ended up getting in the car and that was it. I got in the car, went and did the blood test and that was all. 
About eight months later, I was walking to my mother's office and I stopped by the lab on the way up to go get my mom's lab slips because my mom was a hospital administrator. And on the top of the stack of the envelopes said my name. And I was like, that's super weird nod, but whatever. And I opened it up, Paula, and it said paternity denied. And I was like, what does that even mean? So I jumped back in the elevator. I went all the way back downstairs. I called on a payphone because obviously there was no cell phones. And I called one of my dear friends. Her dad was a pathologist. And I said, hey, I'm actually doing a report for school. Could you help me with something? And he said, sure. And I read him the report. And he goes, oh, honey, no problem at all. What that means is the two people that gave blood are not biologically related. And my heart sunk, shattered. I was 15 years old. My siblings weren't my siblings. My nationality wasn't my nationality. My entire life was one big, giant, horrible lie. And I just unraveled. I remember I called a couple, probably at the time, non-savory friends. And I basically was hysterical. And I just said, this is what's going on. The worst part about everything, Hala, is you know in a Middle Eastern family, you know this, everybody's related and everybody kind of knows like everything about they knew. And I didn't know. And when I saw their faces, they were like, oh, like they didn't even know what to do. And I flipped out. I was rageful. I was angry. I was screaming. I was yelling. I was crying. And I said, take me to him right now. And then they further sunk. And I said, what? And they said, he's not here, Steph. And it didn't calculate to me. I was like, what do you mean he's not here? Like, what does that mean? Just take, just tell me where he is. And they were like, he's gone. He drowned. He drowned when you were a tiny baby. And I was just so incredibly sick about it. Now, as you well know, much later on, I found out that my mom had a complete nervous breakdown when he had passed away. He drowned in a lake. It took him an insurmountable time to find him. It wasn't a straightforward thing, and she kind of never recovered. So, yeah, it was not a fun—it was not a fun experience. Wow. That's crazy that that's what you found out at 15. How was your relationship with your mother, and what what did your mother do for work? So my mom was a hospital administrator. She worked for a an office building, and basically she did reconciling of— of accounts. So whatever lab accounts were or medical accounts were, she she was an administrator. She, she reconciled all the insurances, the private pays, et cetera, et cetera. Wasn't college educated. Again, as you know, we my mom, my mom's first, I'm first generation here from my mother's side. They're from Portugal. And so my mom was not, my mom barely finished high school and she was not college educated. And she got a really, really good job, was a single mom from a very young age. And my mom after this happened, you know, mental wellness and mental health is such a priority now. But back then, it wasn't a priority. People would go, oh, they're a little off or, oh, you know, they get angry a lot. There wasn't really a ton of labeling. And so I don't think people understood child abuse. I don't think people understood emotional neglect. Nobody really understood that. And and then how could she not? Like the love of her life just drowns. And then she has to quickly pivot to figure out a a father or a father figure for a child, you know, there's a lot on her. We had no relationship and the relationship that we did was highly, highly hurtful and tumultuous. And sadly, 
it really never got any better. There were times where there was a glimpse of, you know, hey, maybe it could get better. But people with mental illness that don't seek help on their own with their own therapies and their own resources, it's their choice and they choose not to get better. And she passed away about four years ago. Okay. Well, I'm sad to hear that you guys never like, you know, mended your relationship. We can talk about that later and see like, you know, what you've been doing to kind of mentally get over that. But let's talk about what happened at 15 years old, because from my understanding, at 15, you were on your own. You were paying your own bills. You basically separated yourself. I think it's called emancipation, correct? So talk to us about what what happened. What, what, what happened next? Yeah. So, okay. So basically, I was like, Holla, I wasn't great in school. Like I was, I just didn't really care. What was I going to finish school for? Nobody in my family finished school. My friends were all, my friends were, you know, looking back, my friends were amazing. The way that they loved me and the way that they protected me and the way that they looked out for me. But they weren't like, hey, Steph, you shouldn't do that. You need to do this over here. It was kind of like, you know, birds of a feather, you know, guilty by association, whatever cliche you want to say. So they weren't bad people, but they were really comfortable in staying where they were going to stay. And I wanted out of that small town. I wanted nothing to do with it. I wanted, I wanted to be completely rid of everything from there. And so I guess school was the answer, but I didn't really have anybody checking my homework or going, hey, did you do that? Or there was really no one. And so at 15, I went to go quit school. And my, it was, I was very oh determined. <laughs> you should have seen me with my hand on my hip. I was going in there and I was going to give him hell. And I remember his name is Chuck Vidal. Okay. And he was the principal of the school who later moved on to be the superintendent of all the schools. Okay. He was like, yeah, we're not, sorry. Yeah, no. And I was like, you can't tell me what to do. And like, I was, you know, and he was like, ah, okay. So here's what we're going to do. And he didn't let me quit. He put me on something a lot more manageable for me. I finally fessed up and I told him the entire story. And he said, do you have anybody that you can call? And I called my oldest aunt. Um, my mom is one of seven. There's 20 years difference. My mom was the youngest and my aunt was the oldest. And I called her and I said, I don't want anything. I don't want any money. I just need you to go be what they call a character witness. And she was like, what are you up to now, Stephanie? Like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I don't really know, but just be there at three o'clock. And so I went in, Hala, I went into the court and I walked over to the lady and I didn't know any of the words. And I said, how do I get away from my parents? And, you know, blah, blah, blah. And she was like, I'm surprised she didn't throw a net on me. But she gave me the paperwork and I tried my best to fill it out. And there was this awesome man next to me who turned out to be an attorney. I told him the story. He said, come back here tomorrow morning at nine. And I said, okay. And he filled out the paperwork for me and he, he walked in and let the judge hear the case. And my aunt was there and said, everything that she's saying is completely true. And the judge said to me, in all of the cases I have ever heard, I have never, ever granted immediate emancipation. Never. He's like, I've always taken under submission. I've always looked at other resources to be able to give this child. And he's like, I'm granting you full emancipation. And, and he goes, I need you to know something. You are an adult from the second you walk out this door. He said, you will be tried as an adult. You will be privileged as an adult. You will be anything you can imagine will be adult from here on out. And I was like, okay, great. Like it didn't even hit me the repercussions. And 
that's what it was. Filling out, I mean, imagine in your head, imagine filling out a, a lease for an apartment. I didn't know what first, last, and deposit was. I didn't know. People were looking at me like I had lost it. And I was like, no, I can do this. So I took three buses to three different jobs. I worked at Contempo Casuals. I worked at Foster Farms Chicken. Not, by the way, not hot when like the super smoking hot guy walks in the door that you like and you're ducking behind the counter <laughs> and everybody's calling you kind of up. And I finished school in independent study and I worked really, really, really hard. And I just, there wasn't an option to fail, Hala. There was no option to fail. This is what I had to do. That is crazy. Like, do you ever look back and feel like, do you feel like you made the right decision at 15 years old? Do you wish that people treated you more like a child and told you like, no, you you can't do this. You don't know what you're doing. I think about that as each one of my kids have gotten to that age and I've assessed their maturity level or I've assessed where they are emotionally or I've assessed those type of things in my head, in my heart. I'm like, I had no business being on my own at all. But there wasn't another option. There was no one in this circle that could have really lent a hand. There's, you can't impeach on another family. You know, you can't burden another family. You can't go to another family and and expect that you're going to be taken care of. I had a grandmother. She was amazing and she was awesome, but I lied to her the entire time. I never wanted to burden her. I never wanted her to feel sad. I never wanted her to feel disappointment in my mother. That was her youngest child at the end of the day. So am I sad now, like when I look back on getting married and I look back on all the fun girl things and you want your mom there, you, the love of your life or, you know, heartbreak or not getting into the school of your dreams. Yeah. I, I said one time to my therapist a long, long, long time ago. I mean, it must have been, I mean, literally 20 years ago. And I said, I just miss my mom. And the therapist said, honey, I don't think you miss your mom. I think you miss the idea of what a mother would be to you. And that made so much sense because I was so close with all my girlfriends' moms and I saw how they interacted and I I really understood that. It wasn't, I didn't miss her. She, she wasn't nurturing. She wasn't loving. She wasn't kind. She didn't want me. And, you know, I understand that. So I don't know that there would have been a different option for me to be able to say, oh, I wish I was able to do plan B. <laughs> Yeah, I totally feel that. And wow, like you overcame so much. So you basically grew up in Silicon Valley. You had all these odd jobs. At what point did you get your first real job? Well, so my first real job was when I was 16 and a half, I took, I had $122 in my, whatever it was, my my little savings account. And I took a Greyhound bus to Long Beach and I got a penny saver um, magazine, and I looked for a place, a room to rent. And I wrote a bad check that I didn't have the money to cover. And I got a hostess and waitress job where I would get tips. And at the time, your bank would deposit the check three times before you got, before it actually bounced. And so I knew I had a week to make up $300. And so I went and I rented a room from a woman who had nine nine bloodhounds living in her house. Nine. Hair everywhere. It was literally disgusting. And I worked my butt off and the check cleared. And then I enrolled in junior college and I went through college like that. 
in that time, I had two or three different waitressing jobs that turned in to be like bookkeeping jobs at like Bobby McGee's, like serious jobs where I was working 20 or 30 hours a week. From there, I met a gentleman who I started selling large accounts for cell phones. So like when like Pepsi or like Alamo rental car would would have new salespeople, they would give them a company car that had a cell phone in it. And so I worked myself up to named accounts at a very, way too young. I mean, I was under 20. I was making $50,000 a year. And and so those were kind of my first few real jobs where I actually, you know, W-2, like the whole nine yards, you really pay taxes, all that good stuff. So that's how I did it. Well, that's amazing. I mean, under 20, making 50 grand a year. So you ended up getting really successful really early. And I can imagine working so young and not just like, you know, part-time here and there, you know, money to buy clothes. Like you had to pay rent. You had to buy your own food. You had to put yourself through college. You had real responsibility. What did that teach you, all those jobs? What do you think you you take from it now? I think I'm extraordinarily hard on my kids, like all of them. I think I'm <laughs> super, super, like you probably should have them on your podcast. Um, but like, I'm, I think that, you know, I remember if you, so I remember the biggest mistake that I made financially, okay? I left with a girlfriend of mine. I got really excited. One of my really good friend's parents were doctors and they invited me to Malibu to come stay at their house for the weekend. And I didn't have any of the right clothes. I didn't have any of the right makeup. And I didn't even know, like, I didn't, I cut my own hair. Like I was, I was really not the, that friend. I, I was the friend that you brought home that you're like, where'd you get her from? That was me. I knew how to speak to people. I was really kind to people. I was always very, very kind and I was very resourceful, but I just didn't really fit in because I didn't know how important clothes and makeup and all, all that was. I was so excited to go, Hala. I forgot to turn my air conditioning off at home. And when I got the bill the following month, it was $824. And I didn't know what a payment plan was. I didn't know. I didn't know any of the things. And I, I got my, I got my air conditioning turned off for two and a half months. Not only was it turned off, it was turned off. And then when I got it turned back on, I had to pay a huge deposit to get it turned back on. So like those type of things, I didn't know. And so those are the things that I've instilled in my children at a super young age, a savings account, a donation account. Like if they get $20. What are you saving? What are you donating? Whose life are you making better with it? What does it look like? Also, too, my kids have graduated. So three of them have graduated high school. Two of them have graduated college. We have a rule in our house. And the rule is you take the student loans. You take the student loans. And if you do well and you're a great person and you work really, really hard and you get a good GPA and you have great recommendations, we'll pay off your student loans. I need them to have realization of what the real world looks like. They all graduated from high school. All of them graduated from high school with a 750 FICO score. What 18-year-old knows what a FICO score is? So I was pounding it into their head at a young age, what being a great member of society and giving back and contributing, even if it's just your time or your smile or your what you've learned with someone else. I love that. Okay, so let's talk about what you do now. Let's define what crisis management is. What is crisis management? So the type of crisis management that I do is I help people that have made significant errors in judgment. Generally speaking, it's around finance, divorce, or visibility. 
generally speaking, there's always the outlier, okay? But as a whole, it's usually kickbacks, Ponzi schemes, money laundering, bribery, infidelity, you know, bid rigging, skimming money off the top of your company, creating shell accounts. We work with these type of individuals because those type of individuals usually go out and hire a white collar crime attorney. They don't have any idea there's different ways to move about the journey in a less public forum, if you will. Got it. So walk us through what would happen. Somebody calls you up. They say, Stephanie, you're my girl. I'm in a crisis. What now? Walk me through your process in terms of like all the different types of people you might have to talk to. Like, I know you deal with the FBI and the CIA and like all the like walk us through just like an example of what you would do with a client. You're like, walk me through a normal crisis. Like if any of them were just normal. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So, you know, let's, let's talk about like, um, let's just talk about a typical, like a, like, let's just talk about like a white collar crime, like a financial crime. So let's just say like a kickback or let's just say like a skimming type crisis. And what's a kickback? So a kickback is, so professional, most professional services are not allowed to receive any monetary gain from a referral. So for example, an attorney could say, oh, God, my really, really great friend Matt sells Lamborghinis. And then he gets a monetary, basically he gets money for referring. You're not allowed to do that if the, if if for any point in time, this can come back to you as preferential treatment. Like, you can't do it at all. It's very specific for doctors. It's very specific for attorneys. It's very specific for therapists. They take a code of ethics and they know they are not allowed to receive any sort. Like an attorney can only refer another attorney, but they can't be compensated for it. Mm, I was going to be surprised because I'm like, oh my gosh, in my field, that's all we do is refer. I'm like, I'm glad I'm not a lawyer or a doctor. (laughs) It's actually really funny, Holla. It's actually super funny. I'm going to tell you this really quick. So when I first started doing this, because, you know, I ran a consulting firm, a global consulting firm for like 16 years. So when I very, very first started doing this, my very first client sent me like a, a several million dollar client. Okay. And, and this guy is like my father. Okay. And he sent me this client and this client was a dream. He never lied to me. He told me everything that I needed to know. He put me in touch with everybody. He's like, you know what, Steph, that's a great question. I don't know. Let me put you like everything just was so smooth. So he was getting, he was looking at several years in prison. We were able to get him an unbelievably positive experience. Okay. Like a really positive, he still had a consequence, but he, it wasn't a public consequence. It was actually a really good consequence for he and his family that he was able to live with and continue after he was finished with his consequence leading his life. Okay. So after this whole thing was over and done with, I sent him a watch, the guy who referred me, I sent him a watch and the case was over. And I just go, God, thank you so much for thinking about me. So fast forward, like two years later, we're doing this big, huge investigation and the attorney walks in and it's a kickback case. And we're in this giant boardroom in New York City, like on the 50th floor. And they start talking about the attorney sending gifts to, you know, these different people. And I'm literally sitting in my seat and I'm shrinking and I'm shrinking. I'm I'm getting further and further down because I'm like, oh my God. So after everything was said, having a heart attack, literally, after everything was said and done, I grabbed one of the attorneys. I'm like, I have to tell you something. And he was like, okay. And I told him and he was like, no, completely different. He's like, your professional services, absolutely. And he's like, but this was a case where 
this person who referred you had nothing to do with the case or your future services. So I was like, oh God, okay, thank God. So it was crazy though, because I was really nervous about it. Yeah. That is a really funny story. And it, it, so, so everybody's clear. It's like, it's certain professions that have to be careful about that. And it's certain circumstances. It's, it's really, truly what it comes down to truly is the three that I've seen is it's therapists. Psych, so psychologists, psychiatrists that you see for any therapeutic, you know, means attorneys and doctors. Those are the ones that are really just like the ethics board is just on top of you all at all times. There could be more, but those are the ones that I come across. Okay, so what is entailed? So I'm your girl. You call me up and you're like, I accidentally stole $100 million from my company. I'm so sorry. I have no idea what to do. So the first thing I do is I assess if I believe you or not. I assess whether, like, how deep was this crisis? Did you have your sister involved? Did you create a shell company? Did you use your company credit card to buy misappropriated jet hours? Like, what it, What exactly is the crime? And how are you looking at me, Hala? Like, are you like, oh my God, I blew this? Are you like, you, what is going on for you? That initial meeting is how I assess if I'll even take you as a client. By the way, she only does this in person. I was talking to her offline and she will only do this in person. Only. Under no circumstance will I do it on Zoom or video because body language and how somebody looks at you and how they communicate with you and how they think or ponder a question is so important to see. Because ultimately, Hala, think about this. Ultimately, I'm getting them to their best measure of success, remember? But ultimately, they may be in front of a jury. So I need to look and see, are you going to be detested the second that you sit on the seat? Yeah. Well, how do you tell if somebody's lying? And does it matter if they're, are you looking if they're a good liar or are you checking if they're lying? Amazing question. Both. Okay. So first of all, I hate when people lie to me and then they get really upset about their bill. Okay. So they lie to me and go, I have no other interest in any other companies. And I was like, really? No other companies, no advisory, no warrants. You, you aren't on any boards. You are, all of your holdings are in the U.S. Yes, you're sure you don't consult for anybody else. You don't have any other, like any other holdings. Like even if you're holding in a daycare, just tell me about it so I know. I'm sorry. What does holding mean? Just because I know that if I'm confused, definitely some listeners, what's holding? Yeah, no, no, no. Thank you for backing me up. Totally. So it's where any of your time that you could co possibly be compensated for. So anything that you could, do you consult are you on an advisory board? Are you just uh, donating your time on? We had a whole bunch of private equity guys that got on Clubhouse at the very, very beginning that were essentially going and, and saying all of their expertise for a percentage of the company. Well, zero plus zero is zero. So if the percentage of the company is zero, they still have given their time. If that company gets bought, they're going to be compensated. Okay. So I say any other holdings. Any other time where you're spending your time other than this company right now that's investigating you? Okay, is there anybody? Nope, nobody else. Have you advised on your wife's company? Have you advised on your children's company? Have you advised at your son's school? Have you any other place where they could say this person benefited from this person's expertise? No, absolutely not. You're a thousand percent. Yes, I'm a thousand percent sure. In 48 hours, I'll get a list of, he advised here, he advised here, he was warranted here, he was compensated here, he was, and I'm like, <laughs> dude. <laughs> I mean, right, like, I, I mean, I don't, yeah, I mean, it's more than dude. Um, but I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm like, so 
and it's hysterical the way that I do it. Like my entire team laughs now because I literally sit with them in a boardroom and I just push the table, push the envelope across from them. And I'm like, hey, is that your signature? Because if not, we need to get our fraud team in here like immediately. Like your name is on seven companies in four countries, three continents. This is crazy. And they're like, and 70% of the time, I'll cut it right there. I'm like, I'm really, really sorry. Hopefully things work out for you. Here's all your paperwork. Thank you very, very much for coming in. I really appreciate it. 70% of the time, I'm done. 30% of the time, I will say, are we good? Like, are, do we ha- are we going to have to do this a couple more times? Or are we good? Do you understand that you're supposed to trust me so I can get you the absolute best team? From there, I talk about the second part of your question was, are they a good liar? Okay. Are you a good liar? And how would that be beneficial? Okay. If you are a bad liar, people are going to have a lot more empathy for you when you're on the stand. If you're a good liar, as you know from the episode with Mark Bowden, okay, there's things that happen within your body. There's the way that you move. There's the way that you sit back. There's the way you play with your hair. There's a way you look up or look down to communicate. If you do this, this loses connection with the people that are either going to get you off or convict you. So you have to see how this person comes across. Do they have empathy? Do they have connection? Are they able to speak we had this one client and he was he was the greatest guy ever but when he spoke he sounded like the biggest punk in the entire world. Well, you know what we did? We took him to a therapist. I had a really great friend who's a psychiatrist and I said, "I think something's cognitively off." He got diagnosed with Asperger's. So, that would be great information to be able to know so you don't look off-putting, so you don't look like a jerk, so you don't look like he was insanely brilliant and so smart. His IQ was through the roof, but his EQ was nothing. It was horrible. So, it really depends. The lying aspect is number one first and foremost thing ever. So, I guess I'm a little unclear. So, you want them to be a good liar in a sense. You don't want them to be a good liar. You want them to seem like... You feel like when you're a good liar, you seem arrogant or something along those lines? I, I never want somebody to be a good liar. If you're a good liar, it means you're a proven liar. It means you're a practiced liar. I want you to be a terrible liar because if you're a terrible liar, you have empathy and connection. If you don't and you're a great liar, you're a sociopath generally. Got it. So, Got so it. let me be more clear for you. <laughs> Got it. So yeah, so, so if you're a bad liar, you have holes because the reason why you have holes in your lying scheme is because there's parts of you that feel badly about lying. If you just get up and you're able to just rattle one off and you're looking at somebody and you're completely connected, there's something else very wrong with you. What's up, Yap Bam? Being an entrepreneur and working remotely definitely has its perks. And I know a lot of you listening in are in the same boat as me. But do you really take advantage of being able to work from anywhere? I know I typically don't, but thankfully this past holiday, I finally decided to make use of my work flexibility for the first time ever. My boyfriend and I decided to pack up and leave to the West Coast to spend an entire month working from home in the sun. We got a super cute bungalow in Venice Beach with a fenced backyard. The change in scenery, the fresh air, and the slower pace to help me to inspire some really cool new ideas for my business. And honestly, I'm feeling really refreshed and ready to rock in 2024. And who helped me make these remote work dreams come true? It was Airbnb. And Airbnb has come in clutch for me time and time again. 
Whether it's finding the perfect Airbnb home for our three-day annual executive team get-together or booking a vacation where my extended family can fit all in one place, Airbnb always makes it a great experience. And you know me, I'm always thinking of my latest business venture and I've been begging my boyfriend to start hosting our place on Airbnb. And finally, we're gonna start. So many of my successful friends host on Airbnb and it's such an amazing way to generate passive income. So to start, we have a plan to start spending more time in Miami and we'll be hosting our place to earn some extra money when we're back on the East Coast. 2024 goals and I'll keep you updated. A lot of people don't realize that they might have an Airbnb right under their own noses. I was pretty surprised myself. You can Airbnb your place or spare room even if you're out of town for just a few days or weeks. You could do what I did and work remotely somewhere else and Airbnb your place to fund your trip. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. That's airbnb.com slash host to find out how much your home is worth. You're putting in the work to better yourself. Why not put the same effort into your hiring process at work? It doesn't take much. It just takes Indeed. Indeed is an unbelievably powerful hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Don't struggle on your own to find quality candidates. Indeed can help you hire the right people right now. Indeed partners with you on every step of the hiring process so you can find talent with the skills you need through tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. With Instant Match, as soon as you sponsor a post, you get a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description. And you can even invite them to apply right away. Indeed is the number one industry go-to when people are looking for a new job. This is where the cream of the crop candidates go when they're looking. Anytime I was looking for a job, the first place I went to was Indeed. And with Indeed Instant Match, over 90% of employers get quality candidates as soon as they sponsor their job post, according to Indeed data. Get started right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash YAP. That's a $75 credit at Indeed.com slash YAP. Indeed.com slash YAP. The offer is valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode of YAP is brought to you by Gusto. If you're a small business owner, this is for you. Running a business is just plain hard. Endless to-do lists, employees to take care of, and your ever-present bottom line. So first of all, kudos to you for staying on top of it all. Gusto wasn't just built for small businesses. It was built for the people behind them. Their online payroll is so easy to use and they can automatically calculate paychecks and file all your payroll taxes, which means you have more time to run your business. Plus, Gusto does way more than just payroll. They can help with time tracking, health insurance, 401ks, onboarding, commuter benefits, offer letters, access to HR experts. You get the idea. They've got everything you need to help run your business. It's super easy to set up and get started. And if you're moving from another provider, they can help transfer all your data for you. 
At Yap Media, we're actually gearing up to start our HR benefits on Gusto. And this was the plan even before they sponsored me, because after doing my due diligence and research, I chose Gusto. They provide payroll, benefits, onboarding, HR all in one place. And the key is that it's at an affordable price. It's a budget that suits my growing startup. It's no surprise 94% of customers are likely to recommend Gusto. Here's the best part. Because you're a listener, you get three months completely free. All you got to do is go to gusto.com slash yap. Again, that's gusto, G-U-S-T-O.com slash yap. I'm telling you, you're going to love Gusto. Get started today. Okay. So walk me else. What hap- What else happens in the process? Like who, what are the people that you end up talking to? Like PR, CIA, FBI, like what are all the different like groups of people? That's the thing I'm so interested about because this is not something that is cookie cutter. This is something custom that you figured out and it's mind blowing. Yeah. Okay. So no PR. So 38 clients, 38 clients, and only one has ever, ever gotten to media. You would know 20 of the names like that. Okay. We do have a communication arm, but we are not a crisis communication firm. We are a crisis expertise management firm. So we have all of your resources. So whatever you need, okay? You could need psychiatry. You could need psychology, like like therapy around psychologists or psychiatry. You could need medication because of anxiety or depression and or ADHD or every other element that you could possibly have cognitively, okay? Most, we work with 65 global attorneys. These attorneys, I hand select for you. I meet with you. I meet with your family. I meet with your adult children. I meet with your board. I meet with your executive team. I meet with every single person, whether they know or they don't know of what has happened. And I'm just a business consultant. I come in and I talk to them about their business and I I understand their family dynamics. I see how their children or their wives or their husbands interact with them because people automatically think that all of our clients are men and that's not the case. We've had several women clients. So... I go through and figure everything else out. I understand what they're asking for. So this is the second part, Hala. What is your very best outcome? What is your measurement of success? So if I have you on 300 recordings, accepting kickbacks and accepting cash, and you're like, oh, you know, I was just really hoping not to do any time. Well, I'm not Puff the Magic Dragon or Houdini, okay? Like you've done it. It's recorded. I have to at least go, you know, look at the FBI and the CIA with counsel and look at them and be, and clear, you know, be clear-hearted and have a clear conscience about going to try and make this deal with them. So you're going to have a consequence. So I'm never going to just blow smoke and be like, oh, yeah, absolutely, completely. So the next thing I do is I, I, I basically go through what is your measurement of success. And then I kind of give you some different options because most of the time they don't know. They're like, okay, well, give me some options on what could happen. So we do that. Once we figure out the measurement of success and what will be a successful outcome, they leave. I sit back with my team and I do initial assessment. So I look and see who's available. I look and see who has won the most cases. I look and see who has the best relationships in this area, who has the best relationships with a judge, who has the best relationships with the person investigating, um, how opposing counsel is received. It's a giant, huge ecosystem of relationships and care and concern and who has done the best work together. Once I've done that, I give them suggestions for their team. 
Generally, their team looks like this. Professional services, so that's usually one or two white-collar crime attorneys. It's generally an asset manager around, are we going to have to liquidate assets to pay back restitution? Are we going to have to liquidate homes, et cetera? Like just whatever needs to be liquidated. It's generally a tax person because if for some reason we get you a lesser consequence, the next thing we'll mostly will take over is another agency wanting to come after you. So I don't want to close one problem and then have, you know, the IRS come after you for tax fraud. So we get a bunch of different documents and a, and a lot of different statements and we get a lot of people involved. Then we come and present you what we think was is going to happen. So there, there are PR people. There are social people. We do social campaigns. We do reputation campaigns. Um, but keep in mind, as a whole, that's 5% of our businesses because our clients don't ever get known. So it's white collar. It's asset. It's some sort of therapy um, for the family. It could be drug related. It could be you know, psychological safety relation. It could be whatever it happens to be. We have all of those resources, metadata, getting your phone scraped, making sure that the opposing side gets the right and proper data in an immediate fashion. It's setting up servers so your content or your images are safe on a server and not in the cloud. It is a bunch of different cybersecurity issues. It's a bunch of different personal relationship issues. And then it's a bunch of different professional services relationships. It's such an interesting field. I, I find it super fascinating. So how do you get people prepared for these court hearings? What are the, the types of things that you do? So knock on wood, only two of our clients have ever gone before live court. Wow. So you tend to settle things outside of court. Yes. And that is one thousand percent because I have the absolute best team ever. So I I have people that have deep relationships with agencies that you go have a cup of coffee and go, hey, here's kind of the facts. What are you thinking? We've walked clients in. So we've walked clients in to confess or we've walked clients in to say, you know, hey, this is what this is kind of how the scheme worked or this is I know you're looking for these pieces in the investigation. I have those pieces. Our job is not to make the agency's job harder. Our job is to get this done, handled and settled with the least amount of time and resources so everybody can go about their life. That's our biggest win win. Got it. Got it. So interesting. So your job is to keep people out of court, keep people out of the news and keep it hush hush. And that's why they hire you and give you the big bucks. How much does it typically cost to navigate a crisis? Oh, gosh. Um, so that's so hard, Hala, because there's so many different there's so many different crises. I mean, it, it really I'll, let me say let me answer it like this. How honest are you willing to be? How much information are you willing to give me immediately? Okay. And and if that is the case, that generally is the three-month bump. That's usually, oh, I didn't really know you needed that, or I wasn't really certain that that was important or imperative. Those are the things that slow down a case. Those are the things that create bumps in trust. Those are the things that kind of inflate the bill, if you will. We have settled for, we've settled millions and millions and millions of dollars for a million dollars. We've settled over a hundred million dollars for five to seven million dollars. We have, we've done where there's an assessment where we've charged a half a million dollars for the assessment. We have found the loophole and they've 
our client has kept the money and we've asked them to accept the money back and close out the investigation, we've had things like happen like that. We've also had in the middle of freaking COVID cases that haven't settled for two years because federal court or state court keeps opening and closing and opening and closing and opening and closing. So there's not really a number. What I will say for metrics purposes, what we get told is based on our negotiation, because remember, we negotiate the entire thing. We negotiate the attorney's rates. We negotiate um, the assets rates. So like, oh, I'm going to sell this jet or this yacht for 7%. We'll say, no, thank you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. We only usually charge 1% to 3%. And they're like, okay, Steph, we'll do it for that. So we negotiate everything. So the attorneys that are two to $3,000 an hour, because we settle out so quickly and because they really love how fast I can get them the information, Sometimes you get the strongest attorneys, all the name brand attorneys for like $750 to $1,500 an hour, which is half of what you would normally be spending. I review all the invoices. I look through all the invoices. We work with the absolute best state-of-the-art attorneys, and they want to do a good job. They just don't really want all of the emotion that's in the case, and that's something that our team really takes off their hands. Super interesting. So let's talk about how you figured this all out. There's so much to navigate. It's not something you just go to school for. And it's like you've built this whole ecosystem. So walk us through how you figured all of this out. So it really is just people. It's really understanding people. So the reason why businesses don't do this, Hala, is because they don't really know what the other person wants. So it's like it's like me. If I brought you something that was a product and I go, oh my God, Hala, this guy is the best guy in the entire world and he has this amazing product and it's so good. I know you're a good friend of mine. Will you do this for him? Products are not what you do. You don't do that. That's not who you are. Would you do it for me? Probably, but does it highly align with you? No. But if I brought you a celebrity, a star, and I go, Hola, redo everything because he's a disaster and here's your budget, that would probably align with you. I give cases to attorneys that love what they do. So I'm not going to give, you know, I say this flip, but I'm not going to give like a DUI attorney, you know, a $60 million Ponzi scheme. He doesn't like doing that. He likes the quick ones going in and meeting with the, you know, with those type of judges. I really find out what people love to work with. I find out how they're building their business, how they're building their portfolio, and I want to infuse it with good. And so after doing this or meeting with a psychologist, I was meeting with a psychologist who was actually doing an interview with me, and she had such incredible business acumen. It turns out she went to Harvard Business School and just hated everything to do with business and really loved helping people. So I thought, oh my God, she'd be so perfect for my clients who hate to go talk to a therapist because all the therapist says, how do you feel? How does that work for you? How do you feel? It's not real true business acumen. So I was like, hey, would you consider doing this with two or three of my clients a month? And she was like, oh my God, I would love that. So I like to light up both sides, getting the client the absolute best result, but also too infusing these amazing relationships that I've built over 20 years. Yeah, that's amazing. I guess what I'm trying to figure out is like, did you learn this from someone? Like how to navigate, did you work for a crisis firm before this? Or how did you come up with the idea of like, I want to navigate crises? Like how did your first case come up? Like that's what I'm so, like, like. Okay, here's my first case. I got a phone call at 1120 at night and it was from a previous VC that I had done a lot of work with. And he said, 
and I, I had often, I need to be really careful with this. I had known him many, many years and he was instrumental in bringing so many clients to our consulting firm. And every time I tried to pay him back, Hala, a nice, a nice dinner with he and his wife, a really great bottle of wine, he would say, Steph, listen, you act like I'm doing you a favor. I'm giving them to you because you're the best firm. Okay, you don't need to pay me back. It's payment enough how well you take care of them. So this went on for years and years and years. And then I get this phone call at 1120 at night saying, you want to know how you can help me? Let me tell you how you can help me. And I was like, what? What is he talking about? What is going on? And so basically he asked me if I would consider looking at a very significant problem that they had that they needed help with. I'm a business consultant. That's what I do, right? So I said, great, tell me about the problem. And he said, no. And I said, what do, you, what do you mean no? And he's like, no. He's like, I need you to fly there and I need for you to just meet with them and, and tell me what you think. And I'm like, I, you know me, like I'm a preparer. Like I want to, what? No, what? No. And he's like, I really need you to do this. So I was like, okay. So I go fly there, zero information, zero. I show up and I get handed a manila envelope. The manila envelope probably has, I don't know, maybe 20 or 30 pages. It was literally out of a book. It was literally out of a book. It has 20 or 30 pages in it. And what is in there is several receipts from a credit card company, about eight pictures, eight still black and white pictures of a person with other people, with other things that weren't supposed to necessarily be in the picture. And I'm like okay, this is great. What do you want me to do? He said, fix it. I said, what does that even mean, fix it? I don't even know what that means. And he goes, there's no one I know that is more connected in more continents with more business relationships that handles things calmly, quietly, and is unflappable than you. Fix it. Click. I was like, what the hell does even fix it mean? What does this mean? And I opened the last page of this manila envelope. I flipped to the last page. And it was somebody who I had known for a very, very long time. And it was somebody who was a part of a very large company. And I knew that if this were to be public information, it would be horrifying for his wife and his five children. And so I quickly needed to understand the problem. It went from $3 million to $30 million super, super, super fast. The problem is there's a lot of things within this hala that, for example, he lived in two different countries. He had holdings in three different countries. So like, it's not as easy as walking in with a white collar crime attorney and going, hey, let's, you need to pay all this money back. You need to go here and you need to go. There's there's interline country, massive financial issues that are going on. So it just so happened that I knew three different attorneys that I loved and adored. And I called and I said, hey, I know it's been 22,000 years, but I was just wondering if we could just sit down and have a conversation. All of them said yes. And I said, what would you do with something like this? And what would you do with something like this? And what would you do with something like this? And they all gave me great answers and great ideas. So I came back and I was like, I, I think I need a legal team to like put this stuff together. 
And so that's what I did. I called him up and I said, here's the deal. I need these things. He said, great, here you go. It's done. So I, I created contracts. I created retainer agreements. And I created six attorneys that were willing to document helping me through this crisis. After that, it turned out so unbelievably well. The attorneys had a blast. We helped somebody who we thought had done a really, really, really horrible crime that did a, not a great crime. It was it was bad. It was horrible what they did, but the reasons why they did it were a little bit more explainable. We got them all the help that they needed. We got all the money plus 13.5% interest paid back in restitution. We got every single person paid for their profession double what they would have made, and everything was completely handled within 92 days. Young and profiters, it's never been a better time to be an entrepreneur. With inspiration at our fingertips and powerful tools at our disposal, the possibilities are endless. And when it comes to tools that can truly make your business grow, there's one name that always stands out, Shopify. (coughs) Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the real store with the door stage, and even the did we just hit a million orders stage. And if you're in that I need to sell more with less stage, Shopify magic is your AI superpowered sidekick ready to whip up captivating content that converts from blog posts to product descriptions. Not to mention Shopify also is the home of the best converting checkouts in the game, 36% better than other leading commerce platforms. Shopify turns browsers into buyers. It's no wonder Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And you can sell whatever, whenever with Shopify. Push pleated pants with Shopify's in-person POS system or monetize mindful meditation. I sell my LinkedIn Secrets Masterclass through Shopify, and they've made my life a breeze. It took a couple days to set up my store, and I just get to focus on what I do best, creating great content and marketing my product. So don't stress if you're new to this commerce thing. Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. And remember, whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash profiting, and that's all lowercase. Again, go to shopify.com slash profiting to start growing your business today. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash profiting. I want to talk to all you employers out there and let's talk about company culture. At Yap Media, we have a super unique company culture. We are all obsessed with excellence and we even call ourselves this really cute name, Scrappy Hustlers. We're all Scrappy Hustlers at Yap Media. And my team is growing fast. And hiring is a pain in the butt, especially if you're looking for A players that are going to roll up their sleeves. But luckily, when it comes to hiring, I no longer feel overwhelmed by the search for the perfect candidate because I use Indeed, the ultimate hiring platform. Indeed's matching engine always presents me with a pool of high quality candidates that match my job description to a T. If you're tired of drowning in your hiring pool, Indeed is here to rescue you. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging your candidates, making the entire hiring process a breeze. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. I've hired some of my best employees at Indeed, some of my best scrappy hustlers. With over 140 million qualifications and preferences analyzed every day, Indeed is constantly learning from your hiring preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets at actually hiring your perfect match. 
Join the ranks of more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that have already chosen Indeed to hire great talent. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash profiting. Just go to Indeed.com slash profiting right now to support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash profiting. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Young and profiters, I've got a fun fact for you. Did you know that by 2030, over 85% of the jobs that will exist haven't even been invented yet? And that's why we need to acquire new skills and stay relevant and adaptable. By embracing lifelong learning, we can future-proof our careers and our businesses. That's why you've got to check out Economist Education. Economist Education provides online executive education courses tailor-made for professionals just like us, crafted by The Economist's own editors and special experts. Economist Education courses are designed to sharpen your professional skills in key areas like data storytelling, critical thinking, sustainability, and so much more. I highly recommend checking out the Economist Education course, Business Writing and Storytelling. It's packed with valuable practical advice on how to inform and persuade through writing reports, social media, presentations, and beyond. The best part, these courses are online, flexible, and self-paced, lasting anywhere from two to six weeks. You're guided by expert tutors. You'll dive into a mix of videos, podcasts, texts, quizzes, and weekly assignments. Plus, you'll get a three-month digital subscription to The Economist to support your learning journey. Economist Education provides access to online forums where you can network with peers around the globe. In a world where knowledge is power, Economist Education empowers you to lead the way. Economist Education is an incredible way to stay ahead in business. And I've got a special offer to get you started. Get 15% off any course only available by going to my special URL, education.economist.com profiting, and then enter the promo code profiting at registration. This offer ends on March 31st, so don't wait. For 15% off, go now to education.economist.com profiting and use code profiting. Again, this ends on March 31st. If you want 15% off, you've got to go to education.economist.com profiting and use promo code profiting at registration. That's amazing. So basically, you had a break where somebody put you in the fire you did it well. And then you were like, man, I guess I can create a business out of this. And you probably felt like this is the perfect job for me. All my experiences prepared me for this. Yeah, I didn't feel like any of that. Oh. I literally <laughs> was like, I didn't feel like that at all. I actually was like, oh my God. Okay, so I got done and I was like, okay, yeah, done. Okay. And then he <laughs> called me and he was like, so how'd that feel? And I was like, how did what feel? That I walked into like baptism by fire and I had no idea what the hell I was doing. How did that feel? And he's like, not the point, Stephanie. He's like, you did it. You didn't, your heart rate didn't raise. Everybody loved working with you and you got the best result. And I said, great, but I believe in addressing the gap. And like, really, how big is the need for that? And he goes, oh, well, let me tell you. And so we sat down and he ran through just what he had known in the last six months. And not only that, Hala, but how many people had been taken advantage of, how many people had paid a white-collar crime attorney maybe a million dollars and still gone to prison for, you know, 10 years, or somebody who had maybe rolled on somebody else. Like, people don't understand how to, how to move through the journey in a thoughtful process. We're not getting criminals off. We're not doing that. We're just giving them a different way to preserve their families and give back the money or whatever it is they took from the other company. 
Got it. Super, super interesting career. Now, uh, we are about to wrap up the interview. We're going to do a quick fire segment because I want to talk about your courses. I want to talk about your podcast. Very quickly, if somebody wanted to get into this space, what would you recommend them to do? If they wanted to if they wanted this to be their job? If they wanted to be you, if they wanted to be a crisis management expert, what would you recommend? Like interning for a company like yours? Is that like really the way to kind of learn the ropes? So I would say no, because I would say most, I don't let anybody intern for me because the information is too sensitive. And you have to, at the end of the day, you have to be so discerning with who you bring into that fold. I would say the be- if somebody wanted to do this, first of all, they have to be able to do it for the right reasons, Hala. The first thing is, I don't, you know, we don't do any marketing. Your clients don't go, oh my God, call Stephanie because she just caught me out of this crazy $100 million scheme. So you're, it's really, you ride off into the sunset very quietly and, and very discerning. We don't do public statements. We don't do all of these things. The biggest thing that you have to do if you want to be in this business is you have to thoughtfully build your network and your relationships to be a trusted leader. You have to hone in on your negotiation skills. And at the end of the day, you have to offer being so still and so unflappable to be able to to really be in rooms where everybody is just losing their crap. So those three skills, if you can do that, call me. Amazing. Okay, so let's get into this quick fire section of the podcast. So you have two courses, Executive Presence and Scale Up. Um, So let's first talk about Executive Presence. What are your top three tips to have great Executive Presence? Great question. So I would say effective listening skills. Listening to understand, not just for a pause or not not hearing. So people say, hey, did you hear me? That's not the point. Did you listen to understand and ask clarifying questions? That's number one. Number two, how do you show up for meetings? Are you early? Are you late? What do you offer? Are you prepared? And how do you know you're prepared? How are you receiving feedback? Are you asking your direct managers or executives or other leaders how you can show up in your best self to be able to really hone in on those skills for what you want, not what they want you to do. Do you want to move up the ladder? Do you want a promotion? Do you want to move to another another type of career? Showing up for you above everyone else and just being really, really solid in who you are and what your message is. Love that. Love that. Okay, so let's talk about scale up. What are the best ways to scale your business? First, foremost, everything is making sure that your product or your service addresses a certain market. And that's where everything kind of starts and stops. Is there even demand for this? How do you know? Who have you polled? Who have you spoken to? Holla, as you well know, we've all created things and then it the market is not really there for it anymore. The pivot really didn't happen. And so understanding your product or your service, understanding what gap it addresses, and then niching it down for there. If you serve everyone, you serve no one. And this addresses that. Love that. And where can people find your course? Um, So for Elevate, it's stephaniemalik.com forward slash elevated. And for scale, it is stephaniemalik.com forward slash scale. 
Awesome. So we're going to stick that in the show notes and we're going to have a special offer for all of our listeners tuning in. We're going to offer 10% off. I actually help run Stephanie's podcast and her social media. And we feel like all of our listeners at Young and Profiting are going to really enjoy these courses. They're really made for young professionals who are looking to level up. And Stephanie is a master business consultant. She's started 11 different companies. She is a mastermind. So... Thank you, Hala. I really appreciate it. You are brilliant. Okay. So let's talk about the Spin It podcast. You have a brand new podcast in it. You help us understand how to turn obstacles into opportunities. I know that when we first, I had to convince you to start a podcast. When we first got on a call, I was like, Stephanie, you need a podcast. You are a rock star. I don't know anybody else who could talk about anything more than you can in terms of the business world. I feel like you've just got so many different experiences. And I knew that you'd be great at podcasting. And you are a natural. I was just on your show. It was one of the best interviews that I've ever had. We're going to replay it on the podcast. So talk to us about what it was like learning something new. Like, I know you weren't comfortable with the idea of having a podcast. So how did you overcome that? So I feel like I want to have an entire show on this on just how amazing you were at so gently pushing this. I mean, Holly, I have to tell you, I really pissed so many people off because so many people had begged me to do this four or five, six years ago. And I was like, no, I don't want to be part of the noise. I, I don't, everybody has a podcast. I don't have any desire. I, I, do, I don't want to do it. And I can't tell you how many people did it, um, how many people came to me and told me to do this. The way you articulate what is important to your clients, the way you mirror things back to that client is 1,000%. I mean, you know, Hala, I didn't fight you. You said, this is what I want you to do. And I said, okay. And you were like, wait, what? (laughs) I didn't love it. I still, it's still taking a lot of getting used to because I want to show up and be so present and I want to show up and be, and add so much value. It's still not just like, oh, walk in the park like you. I am getting really amazing feedback. I'm getting like some of the best people that you've introduced me to sending me an email and going, oh my God, that was literally one of the best interviews. And I'm like, shut up, Paula put you up to that. And they're like, I haven't talked to Paula in three months. <laughs> so it it was a lot. Not knowing, you know, being completely vulnerable with you. Business is my forte. That's what I do. I take companies and I pivot them. I grow them. I make them global brands. That's what I do. I didn't know what I didn't know. And finding someone like you who is just, you know, it's funny. The girls, my team said, it's literally funny because they, you hire her for the same reason your clients hire you. I have called you with the biggest flip outs and you're like, okay, here's what we're going to do. There's not even a pause. There's just like, okay, this is what we're going to do. And by the way, if this doesn't work, this is what we're going to do next. It's just, it's such a safe place for me to just be able to call you and freak out that I didn't know the right questions to ask or I feel like a little girl walking around in my mommy's shoes and have you just go, Steph, I got that. And this is what happened. And this is what we're going to do. And this is how it won't happen again. Or this is how we're going to make it bigger. And you've just been instrumental in every aspect of this podcast. And I can't thank you enough. 
Oh, thank you so much, Stephanie. I'm so proud of you guys. It is an amazing show. I'm not just saying that. I literally, I don't, you guys, I've had 200 episodes. I've never brought a client on and been like, you have to listen to her podcast, but you have to listen to her podcast. You will learn so much because she just has so much experiences. She's been working in this world since she was 15 years old. Like she knows her stuff and some incredible conversations are on that podcast. So go check out Spin It. Go check out her course if you guys really want to level up your business skills, your executive presence. If you have a business and you want to figure out out how to scale it. Make sure you check that out. Stephanie, what is your secret to profiting in life? My secret to profiting in life is understanding what other people are needing and seeing if I have the skills or the superpower to help them believe in themselves. I love it. And where can our listeners go to learn more about you and everything that you do? StephanieMalik.com and it's with a Y. So I'll spell it. It's S T E. P-H-Y-N-I-E, Malik, M is in Mary, A-L-I-K dot com. <laughs> all right, I'll stick that in the show notes. You can find her on Instagram. You can find her on LinkedIn. We'll have all of her links in the show notes. Thank you so much, Stephanie. This was an awesome conversation. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to Young and Profiting Podcast. What an amazing ride that conversation was. Stephanie overcame so much emotional trauma at such a young age with her father's death, then her getting emancipated from her mother at 15. She was thrusted into adulthood very early on and she realized she had to put herself first and she had to step up to survive. She worked three jobs during college. She put herself through school and by the age of 20, she was making $50,000 a year in her first real business-related job. She didn't let anything stop her and her setback turned to be a great opportunity in the end. She turned an obstacle into an opportunity, which is everything that Stephanie is about. She spins everything. That's why she's so great at crisis management. She's so great at pivoting. Stephanie soared to the top and became a consultant for top tier businesses and companies. And she did it her way by using empathy and always being an active listener to her clients. And these skills eventually led her to the unique career path of crisis management, which I found super fascinating because it's a really uncommon career path. And she basically made up her dream job from scratch. She took all the skills that she was good at. She took all of her experiences. She gave it a shot. Somebody gave her an assignment to do crisis management. She knocked it out of the park. And then she started doing it for other people, started to find out patterns, started to understand the lay of the land. And now she owns a huge crisis management firm. And this really reminds me of Yap. I did the same thing. I was really good at podcasting. I was really good at social media. I knew how to do YouTube. I knew how to do media buying for podcasts. I knew how to do graphic design and copywriting. And I said, okay, why don't I start a marketing agency? I know how to do everything related to this space. And I can also do a podcast production arm. And I did it and it turned out to be a success because I literally knew how to do everything and I had leadership experiences from the past and I put all these experiences together to become a great CEO of a marketing and podcast agency. And I think that's why it's so important to get a lot of experience. When you get a lot of experience, you get a lot of skills and then you can stack those skills together and design your dream job. And for me, that is the biggest takeaway from this episode is that you can design your own dream career and your career path can be something that you didn't even imagine 10 years from now, 20 years from now, after you get your experiences and you really find out what you're good at, you can design a job 
that is perfect for you. And I love how Stephanie never gave up. Even at age 15, she had no clue what she was going to do. She was pretty much homeless and she just worked on her strengths. She had great work ethic. She up-leveled her skills and she instills those principles in her own children today and not just her children, but everybody in the world. She's got courses. She does coaching and mentoring. She is such an inspiration and a guiding example of keeping your head up and staying strong. If you want to learn more about harnessing your strengths and gaining confidence, go check out episode number 104, Harness Your Strengths with Marcus Buckingham. Here's a clip from that episode. That is a beautiful starting point to begin to identify for yourself where you get strength from life. And because strength and appetite and appetite and practice and performance and practice are this beautiful ongoing loop The more detailed you can be about which particular activities draw you back, those are your strengths. You may not be good at them yet. You may not be. You may just be drawn to them repeatedly. But the beautiful thing is you use your life, not someone's theoretical models, but your life to help you know what are the particular aspects, activities, situations, contexts, moments that strengthen you. Again, if you want to learn more about harnessing your strengths, go check out episode number 104 with Marcus Buckingham. Now, as always, I want to give a shout out to one of our latest Apple Podcast reviewers. And for those of you who don't know, Apple Podcast reviews are the number one way to thank us here at Young and Profiting. And it's my favorite thing to do. I love to read your reviews. It makes my day every time. So if you enjoy the podcast, if you find value in the podcast, if you listen every week, every month, whatever it is, take the time to write us an Apple podcast review. We never ask for donations. We never ask for money from our audience. We only ask for Apple podcast reviews. If you can borrow your friend's phone, if you can borrow your mom's phone, your sister's phone, your husband's phone, whatever it is, if you don't have access to Apple, get access, write us a review, and we will thank you for it. So this week's shout out goes to E-S-N-Y-J-E-P. I'm not sure how to pronounce that. Esnijep. These iTunes names are really funny. But nonetheless, the review goes, favorite podcast. As a mid-20-year-old, this podcast is always one of my favorites to listen to. Such great takeaways and lessons from each and every episode. Well, thank you so much for your amazing review. And I think it's funny that at Young and Profiting, we have listeners of all ages. I have people who are 18 years old who love the podcast, and I have people who are 65 who love the podcast and listen each and every week. We are really a podcast for all ages. We are young at heart, not necessarily our age. And I love to hear who's tuning in. It really helps me understand who my audience is. So if you're out there listening, and again, if you find value in the show, take time to write us an Apple podcast review. That's the best way to thank us here at the podcast. And the other thing that I love to see you guys do, and I see you doing it a lot more often, which is great, is when you guys take a screenshot of your app listening to the end of this episode. And then you take that picture, you upload it to your Instagram story, and then tag me at Yap with Hala. And then I see it, I'll reshare it. And then we can talk in the DMs. You could tell me what you like about the show. You could tell me your favorite episode. You can ask me a question. I love to connect with my listeners. So please don't be shy. Take a screenshot of this app right now, upload it to your Instagram story, tag me at Yap with Hala, and then let's chop it up in the DMs. And I'm so grateful for all our listeners. Thank you guys so much for all your support. 
I am so blessed to be hosting this podcast. You guys can also find me on LinkedIn at Halataha. And I do want to thank the Yap team. We have an amazing team. Right now, we're at 68 employees strong running Young and Profiting Podcast and Yap Media. I feel so thankful for everyone and just really want to thank everybody for all their help in building this dream that we call Young and Profiting. This is Hala signing off.